My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Good old Eli Baskin, his son Ted, moved north and met a gal. One so pretty he'd no recourse but to marry her, which he did six weeks ago. Cassandra's her name, but everyone calls her Cassie. All the better for Ted's a simple country boy. A Cassandra would be too fine for him, but a Cassie, that's just aces. Anyway, the newlywed showed up last week to visit his folks. She'd been eager to see the town from which sprang such a wonderful husband. Cassie's a great gal, said Eli, over a trim at Zeb's barber shop. Guess your boy grew a patch of common sense, says I, awaiting my turn over a two-year-old copy of Car and Driver. Not like that time he gave up a full scholarship to the Ag College at Mississippi State and (coughs) went to that other school instead. What was it called? Yale, says Eli. Yeah, that Yale, says I. Sounds pretty fly-by-night to me. Well, he's Connecticut's problem now, says Eli. Him and his engineering degree. But hey, isn't it good to have him home? Give the boy and his bride my best, says I. Give it to him yourself, says Eli. Come on over for Sunday dinner. Pearl's baking a ham with all the fixins. Golly, friend, says I. This old man daren't impose on your hospitality. Impose heck, says Eli. More like doing us a favor. Cassie seeks communion with the real Truvo, and I can think of no better introduction than Sabbath repast with our most esteemed citizen. Surely not the most esteemed, says I, for I sit before you just a plain old farmer, albeit one who embodies the true zeitgeist of our virtuous town. Well, you see, says Eli, that there is why you should pay a call. Then I'll be glad to oblige, says I. And so it was that Sunday afternoon, in brown cotton suit and red bow tie, I steered my pickup to Eli's. Now note that I said I wore a red bow tie, even though, as I've explicated in previous broadcasts, red is forbidden to the ladies. Forbidden because it is naught but the color of Jezebel. But the menfolk, they carry not the harlot's burden as laid out in 1 Kings 18, so red's okay for them. And besides... It lends a jaunty splash to their apparel. Anyway, I shortly thereafter pulled up in front of Eli's house, a simple wood frame affair with but two bedrooms, serviceable enough, though, the porch being of a size to accommodate two rockers and its kitchen well accoutred for wife Pearl's fine cooking. And when you think about it, what more really does one need? Long as the roof don't leak, right? Well, old Eli, he opens the front door before I could even knock, having heard my noisy old Ford a block away, and he welcomed me into the living room with open arms. So glad you could make it, says he, and waved at the sofa. You know my boy, of course. Since that day 26 years ago, says I, as Ted rose to shake my hand, when you beamed incandescent and handed out cigars. And this, says Eli, is my lovely daughter-in-law, Cassie at which point she rose and shook my hand as well. Pleased to meet you, says she, and I you, I replied. In the next moment, Pearl emerged from the kitchen, wiping her hands on a dishcloth. I thought I heard company, says she. 
Why, Farmer Gray ain't company, says Eli. He's like family. Oh, says Pearl, does that mean I can put him to work in the kitchen? If I'd not be more hindrance than help, says I. Pearl laughed. Just make yourself comfortable, says she. Dinner will be ready in a few minutes. So I settled into one armchair and Eli into the other as I took stock of this newcomer to our town. Certainly an attractive young lady with straight black hair and big brown eyes. Her attire was the typical livery of youth, faded jeans and a blue sweat jacket with hood. For children these days, they never dress to the occasion. Why, they'd wear short pants to a funeral, you bet they would. Still, she bore a lovely smile, and so brightly that I could not reprove her casual ensemble. This your first visit below the Mason-Dixon line, asked I. I'm not sure, says she. Does Florida count? No, ma'am, says I. It does not. Then yes, says she. This is my first time. Well, says I, you're in for some surprises while you're here. All those notions about Southerners held so dear up north. You mean the stereotypes, says Cassie? That's right, says I, the stereotypes. You'll find they don't hold water. I don't doubt it, says the girl, flashing a grin. I'm so enjoying my stay. I think Trouveau is just darling. Except there's no gym here, smiled Ted. She misses her athletic center. Well, yeah, says she, rolling her eyes. I go five days a week. I guess I'm kind of a gym rat. You work hard there, do you, queried I? Oh, sure, says she. Five miles on the Stairmaster, ten reps with the free weights, and an aerobics class Wednesdays and Saturdays. Well, now, says I, that's a relief. Oh, says Cassie, Cassie, why is that? No reason, says I. It's just with Pearl working in the kitchen and you sitting out here not lending a hand, I assumed you were suffering from some affliction. So you're suggesting, says Cassie, that I should be cooking in the kitchen instead of out here with the men? Not at all, says I. I'm rejoicing over the fact that you're hale and healthy. Why, Mr. Gray, says Cassie. Oh, says I, no need to be so formal. Call me Farmer Gray. Everybody does. Farmer Gray, says she. That's the most... Did you know, interrupts Ted, that Cassie's earning her doctorate in sociology? Honey, why don't you tell our guest about your dissertation? But for the, bo but for the boy's intervention, I would have heard the end of Cassie's sentence. Was it, that's the most kind thing anyone's ever said to me? Or perhaps, that's the most touching sentiment I've ever heard? Well, whatever it was, I'm sure it would have made me blush. But the conversation had abruptly moved on. My dissertation, yes, says Cassie. It's called The Evolving Impact of Children's Television on Pre-Adolescent Conduct, 1954 to 2019. Now that's a subject yours truly takes to heart, says I. Really, says Cassie? You also have an interest in media-driven behavior? Well, says I, more of an interest in steering our young'uns clear of sodomy... Spent an evening some months back at my young friend Hank's watching the Disney Channel. And let me say, I was flabbergasted to learn that the folks who brought us Song of the South advocate homosexuality. Friend Hank won't let his daughter Ambrosia watch the channel anymore. Even throughout her Mickey Mouse doll, convinced that the character's flamboyant attire bespeaks a perverse sexuality. I'm finding it a bit hot in here, says Cassie, and with that she unzipped and removed her sweat jacket. Thus did she reveal a white t-shirt, a garment, ladies and gentlemen, upon which were emblazoned the following words, equal rights, 
N-O-W. Hmm, thinks I, this raises a query or two. But being the diplomatic sort, I decided to broach the topic delicately. Say, says I, did you all fly here or drive? Oh, we flew, says Ted, straight into Memphis International. I see, says I, I see. Now, they lay down all kinds of rules and proffer all sorts of questions when one takes to the air these days, am I right? I suppose, says Ted. Yes, like I thought, says I. So there's one question I've heard tell of. The fellow at the airport inquires, he says, Did you pack your own bags? Did the gentleman at the airport pose such an interrogatory? Why, yes, says Ted, he did, in fact. Mm-hmm, says I. Now, if I might ask your lovely wife here, how did you respond to this question? Oh, says Cassie, I said, yes, I did pack my bags. Ah, says I. So the shirt you're wearing, you didn't open the suitcase and discover some stranger had slipped it into your luggage? Uh, no, says the gal. It's my shirt. You see, I'm a member of the National Organization for Women, Connecticut chapter. An affiliation that suffuses you with such pride, says I, that you proclaim it across your apparel. Yes, as a matter of fact, says Cassie. I've been campaigning for the Equal Rights Amendment since I was 16. Why, do you object? No, ma'am, says I. There's plenty of folks disinclined to jettison their childhood fancies. As a boy, I wished to become a lion tamer and was, and was nigh on 20 before I forswore the notion. I don't think, says Cassie, that you can compare a woman's dedication to passing the ERA with becoming a lion tamer. That's true, says I, because there's always an outside chance a person can actually become a lion tamer. Farmer Gray, says Cassie, I'm beginning to think that you, at that moment, husband Ted again interrupted. Uh, honey, says he, it's well known that Farmer Gray holds opinions that may not conform with an East Coast disposition, but he is an institution here in, ta- in the town that bore me. Cassie crossed her arms and said no more, and I was sorry for that, because once more I wanted to hear the rest of that sentence. Was she about to say, I'm beginning to think that you are right, or I'm beginning to think that you are wise, I was never to know, particularly since right then and there Eli changed the subject. I think we can all agree, says the fella, that when you come right down to it, north and south are more the same than different, at our core, I mean. Well, says she, if we were to go just by Ted here, I'd have to say you have a point. I mean, he's absolutely just as brilliant and career-driven as any Yaley from the East Coast. That's right, says Eli. He says, Eli, we're just alike, you see, Northerners and Southerners. True enough, says I, although there was a time when things were a bit different round here, an era when we in the South enjoyed a slower, more relaxed pace, days of ease and storied traditions. Really, says Cassie, when was that? Oh, a long time ago, says I, back when we had slaves. Cassie blinked a bit, perhaps from dust irritation, though Pearl keeps a spotless home. Then she said, excuse me? Back in slave days, says I. They really made life around the farm a lot easier. Are you saying, says Cassie, that you miss slavery? Now hold on, I chuckled. How old do you think I am? I never knew slavery, so I can't say as I miss it. Then what are you saying, asked the young bride. Simply this, says I, 
that if I had a whole passel of field hands working the land for me under the guidance of a fellow invested in my success, you mean an overseer, says Cassie? Gosh, says I, I never much went in for labels, but let's say a responsible manager. If I had a bunch of affordable field hands, and I mean real affordable, overseen by a manager on horseback, my existence would be much more tranquil. Uh, honey, says Ted, we in the South are not pro-slavery, I promise you. That's right, agreed Eli. Yes, indeed, says I. And Lord knows there's no groundswell to bring back those days. At least not that I'm aware of. Cassie opened her mouth as if to speak when suddenly Pearl burst in from the kitchen. Supper's on the table, says she. Come and get it. Well, that was certainly good news to my growling stomach, and presently we all sat down to the finest meal I've had since my own dear wife, Elspeth, took to the storm cellar to hide from North Korean missiles. Before us lay a spread of poke salad, creamed squash, turnip slaw, corn pudding, and cheese biscuits, not to mention the main attraction, a fat five-pound ham, glazed with brown sugar and mustard, says Pearl, my specialty. Why, it was enough to feed an army, or a king, or an army of kings, if such a thing ever existed. Farmer Grace, says Eli, we would be honored if you would say grace. And so, as we bowed our heads, I thought up the most welcoming prayer I could. Dear Lord, says I, we thank ye for this repast and all who share it. And we are especially grateful that Trugo's own son, Ted Baskin, though he traveled far from our door, has returned with his lovely northern bride, for she be welcome here, that she might cast off her foreign ways and embrace the duties of a southern wife. Amen. When we had again raised our heads, I noticed that Cassie's eyes rolled upward. I can only think that she was sending a last gaze heavenward to beseech Jesus to fulfill my prayer. Such a sweet girl. Then all we all of us chowed down with lots of praise for the preparer of the feast, for as appetizing as those vittles looked, they tasted even better. Pearl, you've outdone yourself, says Eli. Oh, says the lady, just some things I threw together. The picture of modesty is Pearl. And as we ate, I facilitated digestion the best way I knew how, by holding forth on the issues of the day. The Democrat conspiracy that is coronavirus, phony impeachment by the liberal junta, the clearing of treasonous rapscallions so our brave president could make his triumphant march to St. John's Church, all that and more. And with each comment, I'd turn to Cassie and say, guess I ain't politically correct, topped off with a conspiratorial wink. So engrossed was the gal in my colloquy that she said nothing throughout the meal, staring down at her plate and picking at her food. By the time Pearl brought out the dessert, a luscious key lime pie, our Cassie had turned pale with respect for your old friend the farmer. Finally, my belly full of a fine Sunday dinner, Eli and I took to those rockers on the porch, too stuffed to do much else than propel ourselves back and forth at a gentle pace. When at last I made to say farewell to my hosts, I learned that their newest member had retired to the back bedroom. I asked her if she was feeling okay, said Burl, and she replied that she just had a headache, a pounding, throbbing headache. No doubt, I surmised, because her noggin was crammed with important new ideas, courtesy of yours truly. Later that week, I again ran into Eli, this time at Clemmer's Value Foods. How's the happy couple, asked I. Any idea if they might move back here, now that young Cassie's had a taste of southern hospitality? Funny thing, says Eli. They were supposed to stay another week, 
but instead left the next day. As for moving back, Ted said Cassie has no intention even to return for a visit. This news engendered the only logical conclusion that Ted's bride had been so taken with my sophisticated worldview she could not wait even one more day to fly north and impart Mississippi erudition to her East Coast compatriots. And naturally, she'd no need to return to Truvo, having been fully apprised of our wise disposition. After all, what more could she glean from our sagacity? Now, folks, they call pride one of the seven deadly sins, but I, none, but I nonetheless felt a swell of it in my chest. For how could I not, having benefacted the newlyweds on their matrimonial journey, bet that Cassie even vacates her ERA ambitions, vacates them tutti sweet, or should I say N-O-W? <laughs> yes, sir. Play me out, Zeke. <laughs>